Welcome to the In the Scriptures podcast. The following Bible lesson was previously recorded. Well, I have some good news today. I, I guess it's good. This is the, the last lesson in this series that I've been going through on the work of the church. So uh, if you're tired of it and ready for something else, then Lord willing, next week we'll go on to something else. I've enjoyed this study, though. Uh, I think it's been beneficial for a number of reasons, especially to me because of coming out of the pandemic time in which everything was kind of a strain to be able to do what we would normally do as a church uh, family to, to kind of remind ourselves of, okay, this is what it really should look like and this is what it really should be. And I think it's just beneficial sometimes to go back and remind ourselves just of these basic things that are fundamentals of our faith and, and what we should do. This is a little bit this morning of uh, kind of a, a review, if you will, uh, as well as, um, well, I tell you what, I lost a slide here somewhere. Where's my slide at? Oh, dear. I apologize. So what happens when you try to combine songs with a sermon? It doesn't always work. I, I want to review the whole thing, but first, there is one particular thing that I think we need to spend a little more time on. If I can get it to, to work with me here. Let's see if this works. Okay. If you remember last week, about supporting the preaching of the gospel. And this, that was really to clarify, uh, in addition to why we take up a collection on the first day of the week. So if you remember 1 Corinthians 16, the first two verses, we read that there's to be a collection. Every first day of the week, let each one of you lay by in store as he's prospered, that there be no collections. You know, when he, when he comes is what Paul says, but the point is, let, let not be collections at the last moment, but that there actually be a planned collecting that's going on from week to week. Well, that then kind of brings the question of, well, what's that collection to be used for? And we dealt with that when we talked about the collection, and there's really a couple of very, very specific things. One is for the furtherance of the gospel. That's pretty evident that those things were going on. We even spent some time last week specifically on how that Paul took wages uh, as he went at times. And then there were times in, in which he did not take wages. And then there's talk about how others were helping the spreading of the gospel in various ways. But then there was also the care for the needy saints. And we spent time on that and looked at a few verses that specifically talked about that. And we talked about, uh, I think even in the Sunday evening session in particular, about uh, those that were the widows and those who were really widows versus the ones that Paul taught the brethren not to take into the number as he talked to Timothy in particular. And we'll talk more about that too. But... That's the reason to be spending some time on these things in particular. Uh, so, I want to start there in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35 in particular, 
says, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. All right, so there's, there's several things to see here. One is going back to verse 32. He says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. They had all things in common, he goes on to say in verse 32. So he's talking about the group of believers, Christians. So that's important, again, in our context here. So he's talking about Christians, believers, together. Verse 34 nor was there anyone among them. So again, who's it among? It's among the believers. Okay, among these Christians that are being talked about. So there wasn't anyone who lacked. And the reason is because these believers that had land and houses, etc., sold them, brought the proceeds, and they, were, they had it distributed to those who were in need. So the, the thing I want us to see here is this is a really good description of what was going on, but, it, but if I ask the question, who was it among, do we see who it was among? It was among the believers. Okay? There's a good deal of debate that goes on and has gone on for years and years and years about what are we authorized to use the church treasury and the church collection for. And, and what I really want to emphasize today, and what I've tried to emphasize through this whole series, is just simply what the Bible says. Matter of fact, that's kind of been the subline up here, is what does the local church do according to the Scriptures? If we just look at the Scriptures. Now granted, there's always, do the Scriptures give us a line item for every move we're to make in this life? No, they don't. And so we're always going to have to you know, take the Scriptures and apply it to our specific situation, circumstance, etc., etc. But we can see from these specific commands and examples in the New Testament a really good idea of what it is that we're to do. And from that, we can also see some specifics that are undeniable. Okay? And those specifics that are undeniable, I would submit, are very important. If we're looking at the Scriptures and there's a very specific thing said, then in a sense I could also then like rule out a lot of other what-if things when I have something specific to hang on to. Well, in this text, it's specific about who. And that's important. Because a lot of the questions that come up about the church money and the church treasury, if you will, deal with the who. Well, who you know, is this to go to? Aside from the what, okay, that's another thing. Like, what is this to go to? That's another issue to deal with. But the who actually answers a lot of the what scenarios as well. And so the who that we focused on right in the Scriptures really boil down to two peoples, if you will. One is those who are ministering in the Word of God. And we looked at that a great deal last week. You don't muzzle the ox as he treads out the grain. That's that, you know, kind of metaphorical term there. So those who are ministering in the Word of God. 
And then the other is the needy saints. Now those are very specific things. Both of them. They're very specific things. And in this context in Acts chapter 4, we have a big picture kind of drawn out of that very thing. <coughs> Y'all excuse me for a minute. I'm going to pop in a cough drop before I really fight this tickle in my throat. So it's those who believed, and it's those who believed that had the possessions, that were able to sell them, that were able to generate the funds, that they were able to pull together, that they were then able to distribute to those who lacked, those who had need among them. Okay? So again, I, I would just encourage you when, you're, when we're studying issues like this that bring up a lot of questions, the thing to kind of like hang on to is the specifics. And the specifics when it comes to the money within the local church really does not change when it comes to those things that were shown there. Ministering the gospel, ministering the word of God, and then caring for needy saints. Okay, those are really specific things. Now there are some other things that, I don't know how many have heard of the term expediency. That's been a term thrown around by gospel preachers and teachers and pre, you know those who are involved even in debating and writing of books and things like that. And the idea of expediency is that well, this the building we're sitting in today ultimately is a result of expediency. The, the, obviously the church is to gather. Well, they need a place to gather. That's the idea there. Well, here's what I, here's what I want to say about that just real, real, real quick. I agree with that in the very basic principle that, yeah, if we're going to gather, we've got to have a place. There's got to be a plan. There's got to be, you know, we've we got to call everybody together in one place. Does it have to be a building like this? No. There, I mean, we're, the only specifics that we read about buildings or places in the New Testament had to do with people's homes or locations that already existed. You know, such as on the temple grounds and porch areas like that that were already in existence. So places were talked about briefly and very little. So when we get to specifics, does so in other words, you say, Lance, well, does the Bible specifically say build a building with pews? No, <laughs> it doesn't. There is no specific like that. Does that mean it's wrong to have a building? I wouldn't say that. There are, like I said, the Bible doesn't spell out every little thing. So we've got to use our ability to make some judgments and decide those things. Now, all of that's a big intro to really think about this situation with needy saints. Do we have saints that have needs? Yes. In 1 Corinthians 16, if you'll go with me there to that text, and we'll look at it again for a moment, that was the reason for this teaching from Paul to the church at Corinth. There was a need, and therefore, this is what the prescription was. 1 Corinthians 16, again, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. This is, again, among all the churches that he's 
speaking to right now. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, as we read surrounding texts and events of what was going on, there were, there were saints in great need in Jerusalem. And that's what this is, you know, this is what spurs this on. But Paul is establishing a practice, a principle that is to be done not only at Corinth, but he's, as he says, all the churches in Galatia have been told to do the same thing. But it's for the saints. I keep emphasizing that, and y'all are going to be like, can he say that just one more time, you know? But I'm telling you, when you look through the history of the church and the issues that have come up among brethren about the money in the Lord's church, it really boils down, in most cases, to who. Who is the money going to? Even when, I'm going to level with you for a second, okay? Even when we get into discussing things like orphans' homes, schools, etc., etc. Okay, what, what question are we really dealing with? Who? That's what we're dealing with. Who is the money to go to? And it's very clear in the specific examples we're given in the New Testament that the focus, that the principle that's put in place by the apostles and the ones that they had in these churches leading and teaching was the who was needy saints when it came to that benevolent type work. And so that answers a lot of things. Because then, now, if I'm going to talk about giving money to an orphan's home, is everybody in that orphan's home a needy saint? No. And so that, that's going to go against the who that I read specifically in the Scriptures, which then means I need to answer a lot of other questions. So why am I wanting to do this? Is there another way to do this? You know, what, what, there's, there's just a lot of questions that should come when it doesn't match the exact who of the New Testament. Same thing with a school. They say, well, this is a Christian school and they're teaching Bible to these kids and this is great, you know, and everything. So, but who? Is everybody in that school a needy saint? Is everybody in that school set out to the work of ministering the Word of God? Is that entirely what the school, you know, I mean, it just raises a lot of questions. And again, we're talking about the collection taken at the church. Okay? Now, when we talk about the specifics of what's told to individual Christians, is there a difference? Yeah. So stark a dis difference that I, I mentioned this before, that Jesus would teach when somebody said... To the, to, the, to the command, love your neighbor as yourself, and they raise the question, who is my neighbor? That Jesus would go into teaching them the parable of the Good Samaritan that would show them an example of someone who would never call that person a neighbor and yet went out and stuck his neck out for him, 
gave of his time and his personal money and everything to take care of him. So that's a huge difference. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. We're smart enough and we're capable enough to separate the two things, aren't we? That's what the early church clearly did. They separated the two things. Because in the Galatian letter, which is one of the controversial things in chapter 6, that's what Paul told the Galatian brethren to do. And he spoke, spoke in individual terms there when he told them, as you have opportunity, or as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. Now, does that conflict with what he taught in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2? No. Does it conflict with what Jesus taught concerning the Good Samaritan? No. It's just recognizing there's a difference in the collected funds of the church versus what each of us as individuals are capable of doing and what we should be doing. It's just different things. And over time and over years, men and, and women alike, Christians, shall I say, have just struggled with mingling all that together at times. But I'm just going to go ahead and make it real simple again. I'm simple-minded, so I use simple thoughts. If you just ask the question, who, when it comes to the funds of the church, the church treasury, then much of our problems can be solved right there. Because if I can't say that it's for the spreading of the gospel specifically, or it's for a needy saint, then now it's really not the church treasury that we're talking about. It's what can I do as an individual Christian. It's what can each of us as individual Christians do in our service to one another and our fellow man. The who really answers it. And so going back to Acts chapter 2 even, we often look at this text and talking about the start of the church. And right there in the very beginning of the, the church, following the days of Pentecost, we see this very same thing play out among the Christians. Uh, beginning in verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now at this point in time, elders have not been appointed in this church. or you know, there's, This is the infancy of the church. But even in the infancy of the church, you see an example here of where they were taking care of their fellow Christians. If I just said who, in this text even, the who is their fellow Christians. That's powerful. That's powerful. Let me pause there and make this point. Do we sometimes fail at that very basic thing right there? As a local church, do we sometimes fail to do the very specific thing that we're supposed to do, and that is to take care of our fellow Christians? I think we'd have to admit, yeah, there have been times in which we have failed. 
And I would submit to you that some of that failure is in all likelihood because in many cases, elders and just members of the Lord's church have been hesitant to spend the Lord's money because there's been so many controversies about the Lord's money. It's kind of sad when you spell it out like that, isn't it? But when we have needy saints, what are we to do? We're to help them. In these couple of texts we've read from the book of Acts, they divided among all, as anyone had need, so that no one lacked, as it said in chapter 4. And so if we're failing to do that, we need to really check ourselves and be sure that we're getting it done. Again, we've looked there in Acts chapter 4, but I really want to emphasize, as anyone had need, we need to see to the needs of our fellow Christians. I would submit that in American culture, one of the things that we have raised up, I was talking to somebody the other day and he actually used the the statement that it almost is like the American family has become our idol. That we have raised up our own family to such a high status that our own individual family unit is more important than our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I want you to think on that with me for just a second. Because what did Jesus say about our family? He said, if you don't come to me and love me more than father, mother, son, daughter, Yes, in your own life also, right? When they asked him, you know, about his family, he pointed to the disciples that were right there. He said, this, you are my family. And so again, I, I, we're taught to take care of our family. That's part of this too, and we'll get to that in a second. But we don't take care of our family to the sacrifice of needy saints. Or vice versa. I mean, it, it, both can coexist. Should be able to. But I'm afraid that at times we put such an emphasis on our immediate blood family that we forget about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would say that's not scriptural. That's not biblical. That's not Christian. That's not what we're to do as a part of the Lord's church. In Acts chapter 11, we have another example. And I, I want to notice a couple of terms that are used here. In Acts 11, beginning in verse 27, it says, in all these, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So another great example of what the brethren were able to do in taking care of their fellow Christians. 
There's a need that is going to arise. This was prophetically told to them by Agabus. But don't you notice, they did some things that you and I can do the same thing. It says, verse 29, the disciples, each according to his ability. Does that sound familiar? Sounds just like what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 16, doesn't it? Each according to his ability. Determined to send relief. This was planned. This was planned. This was not haphazard. This was not, oh, well, I happen to have five bucks in my pocket. No, this was, we determined to do this. Planned. And it was relief to go to those in Judea. This wasn't like a token kind of thing. Are we ever guilty of doing a token service? This, this, I, don't, I don't read this as a token service. This was, there's going to be a famine. We know that there are brethren in Judea. We're going to send a substantial amount, whatever, to be able to relieve the need. Now, we're not told the real specifics right here of all that, but I don't think I'm reading too much into it to read it that way. They each gave, according to their ability, determined to send relief to these specific brethren in Judea. Now let me ask just a real basic question. When's the last time each of us here at Sandlin Road really, really, really took a look at the financials that our elders provide and like connected the dots and said, that's where... That's where my offering is going. You see, that's one of the powerful things I see here in the New Testament. These disciples, these Christians, they were coming aware of specific needs and they were knowingly giving to meet those needs and they were a part of that work because of that. We read about that in the book of Philippians as Paul talked about that, how that they were a part of all of it. There was fruit from that. So if in your mind, when I ask that question, you think, well, I hadn't paid attention to where money goes. Well, let's do better. And let's pay attention to it. And let's feel a part of it. Because that's what was going on right here in the New Testament. And there's the other thing. When's the last time that you made our elders aware of a need? When's the last time that you pulled them aside and said, hey... Here is a need among the saints, whether it be right here in our group, or whether it be somebody near to us that we could help. But again, ask that who question as we go to the elders, is it for the needy saints? Solves a lot of complications right there, if we just ask that question. Again, we looked at 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, again, as he's talking about this great collection that was being brought up, and in that he talks about it being the ministering to the saints. Again, the specifics. Hang on those specifics because it's all the way throughout all of this. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 1, again, echoes the same statement, the ministering to the saints. And then in Romans 15, same thing in verses 25 and 26, it was the ministering to the saints, and specifically he says, the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. The who was very specific. All things that we can hold on to. 
And finally this morning, I want to look again at 1 Timothy chapter 5, because this is, again, a place that comes up as, as a question among this. As Paul writes to Timothy and he talks about widows, in beginning in verse 3, he says, Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. Now that's an important thing to note there. As I mentioned, I'm not saying we don't take care of our own family. The Bible teaches us take care of our own family. But the Bible clearly also teaches us that we're to take care of needy saints. And we're especially to take care of needy saints with the collection that we're taking up every week. We're to take care of our own family out of our own means, separate from what we set aside and lay by in store for the first day of the week to give in the church. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy here. He said, let, let these children, grandchildren, learn to show piety at home and take care of their parents. And I would say in our American culture, by and large, we do a really good job of that. That seems to come pretty natural. Where we take care of parents and grandparents, for that matter. We take care of our family. But I just want us to note that along with that, running parallel with that, if you will, is that the work of the church through the collected offering is to take care of needy saints. So we can't neglect that part. And so he goes on and he talks about those who are really widows in this. Verse 5, now she who is, a, is really a widow, left alone, there's that, okay, she doesn't have the family to support, trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Now notice, he's talking about a sister in Christ. He's talking about a believer. Again, the who. But she, she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own... Now here again, he's making this point. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith is worse than an unbeliever. So he's making it very clear. I'm not, you don't let the church bear the burden that ought to be borne by individuals. He's drawing a line there. So we've got to be able to draw that line too. Got to be able to draw that line too. Verse 9 Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So he makes this is like really qualifications of this widow that he notices he says is going to be taken into the number. Now, that's not saying that she's a member of the church. That's not what that taking in the number. They're talking about the number of those that the church would provide help to. And this really goes back again to the book of Acts when there were the widows that they were serving the tables of. They were taking daily food to. And the apostles said, appoint men to take care of that because we can't leave the teaching and preaching and praying that we're to do in working with the Word of God. Well, here's a specific to Timothy, a preacher at Ephesus, on how do you deal with widows who really are in need. Take in the ones who are really in need, and here are some of the qualifications that will help you know when that's the case. Verse 11, But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ... No, again, these are saints. 
They grow wanton against Christ. They desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. In other words, they'll start looking back to the physical things of this world instead of focusing on their faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. And he's saying so the temptation is, if the church is paying for their needs, but they don't have a husband or children, they don't have a home to care after, they're going to be idle. You know, they're not going to have anything to do. Paul's saying, not a good situation. So he's discouraging Timothy from letting that be who's in the number of those taken care of by the church. Verse 14, he says, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry. Well, this goes to biblical principle, right? Because we're told, as far as marriage is concerned, that we're to stay married except for a couple of exceptions, right? In the case of adultery or death. Well, here's a widow. So her husband has died. If she's a young widow, Paul's saying it would be best if she what? Remarry. Now she will have the support that she needs and she'll have a home to take care of. She'll have the things that she needs to be the godly woman that she ought to be in that place. Verse 15, for some have already turned aside after Satan. In other words, he's given a warning. This could be a scenario where we lose Christians in this state of being a widow because of the temptations that would come. Verse 16, If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. This is now the third time he's made the point to individuals that if it's in their family, they need to take care of them. Now why? Let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened. Just because we don't want the church dealing with stuff like that? No. Notice what the last phrase is. That it may relieve those who are really widows. The church has a responsibility to see to the needs of the needy saints. But we as individuals have responsibilities too. And those two things must coexist. And we must be able to draw the line. And we need to do it according to the Scriptures. I hope you'll be with us tonight, and we'll talk a little more about some of the specifics of this, but the real key questions are just a couple of them. It's who. Who is it going to? Then you can ask the question of what, because it's got to be to take care of the needs of the saints, and we'll talk a little more maybe tonight about the what's, because a lot of questions come up like, you know, are we going to buy every needy saint a new car? They don't go repeating that, I'm just teasing. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, the what is important too, but you really need to first deal with the who. It answers so, so much. Well, remember, as we've looked at this, we've talked about what the local church is to do. We're to assemble together, observe the Lord's Supper, sing praise to God, pray with one another and for one another, preach and teach God's Word, take up this monetary collection, and then with that monetary collection, we're to support the preaching of the Gospel and care for the needy saints. That's about as much in a nutshell as I know how to put it as to what the local church is to do. Thank you for your patience. It's, it's been a long study. Now, we all are individual members of the body of Christ. So there's a couple of 
kind of punches to this. One is each of us as individuals need to be asking, how do I help make this happen? And am I willing to do what I need to do as an individual to make it happen? The second punch is, how do we then collectively do that? Under the leadership of our elders, deacons, our brother and sisterhood together here at Sandlin Road even, how do we make sure that we work together in unity to make those things happen? We've got to be willing to do it as individuals, to participate, do our part, but then we've also got to be willing to work together as a team, as a unit, as a collective group to make those things happen. And if we'll do that, then we'll be what the church is designed to be. A beautiful bride of Christ, spreading the borders of the kingdom, being a beacon of light to those around us. And what a great thing it would be if every local gathering of God's people could just do all of these things that we're called to do and be active in it. This morning, if you're not a child of God, won't you become one? What are you waiting on? You need to think about your own soul. If you're here today, you've got some kind of an interest in spiritual things, or you wouldn't be here. So I'm just going to ask you a simple question right before we sing this song to encourage you. If the Lord comes back today, if your life ends today, are you going to heaven or hell? If the answer in your mind and your heart is hell, I beg you, don't leave here without doing something to change that answer. If you need to confess sin and have us pray for you, that God may forgive you, let's do it. If you've never been baptized into Christ, Jesus said it, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. So change that answer today. Don't go to hell. Not by any of your choosing. Not by any of your unwillingness to submit to what God has said. No. Change that answer today. Before you leave this place, know that you've got the hope of going to heaven. If we could help you, won't you come? While we stand and sing.